Welcome to Money Management, a weekly look at the art and science of investing. Now, here's your host, Mike Mayle. Good morning. Thank you very much for tuning in. I am Mike Mayle with the Spokane Office of the Opus 111 Group. And we're here, as we are every Saturday, live and in radio color to talk with you about the markets, the economy, and answer any questions you have about what's going on as it affects your own situation and or uh, whatever I'm speaking about at the time. So if you have uh, questions or comments, 326-9200 if you're in the neighborhood, 800-920-9244 if you're out. Let's kind of look uh, big picture, and then uh, we'll talk about this flu bug stuff. And then that uh, electric car company, I want to talk about Tesla because it's just been silly. And then we'll talk about the economy and other things like that, too. So uh, again, but if you have questions, call us 326-9200-800-920-9244. So, you know, here's the musical question. Are investors' panic reactions justified by the latest events? Well, I don't think so. But, hey, as we've seen displayed a few times over this past week, investors are still very much prone to overreacting to bad news after the uh, little whiplash we had in uh, late 2018. And along with some weakness recently in the global economy, this tendency to run and hide at the first time of trouble is pretty characteristic of uh, a fragile mass psyche. And this uh, fear-driven mentality, unfortunately, isn't likely to disappear anytime soon. The upside, well, the market has this phrase. It's called a wall of worry. And when there's things to be, quote-unquote, concerned about or worry about, well, the market tends to continue to go up, so there's the good news out of all this stuff. Now, in this headline-driven market, you know, you see stories containing, excuse me, containing words like virus and tariffs. You know, it's like an albatross. You know, it, especially given the growing number of algorithms that trade on posts and headlines. Side note: algorithms. What is that? Uh, algorithm is a mathematical, well, series of formulas that. Uh, high-speed computer traders use uh, to determine values for bunches of stocks uh, that they and ETFs that they buy and sell basically instantly, and so you see that hap- that's one of the reasons why we're seeing this these uh, quick gyrations in the marketplace um, during the day. And if you don't watch that to your benefit, uh, <laughs> you don't need to see the inter- interim stuff because it's only what happens when the doors close that counts. So the, the the effect on price action, investor psychology, yeah, it can be pretty significant when the negative stories serve as reason for that. They call it the algos, the algo trading and related emotional responses from the nice people who are out there trying to figure this all out. And now these folks, uh, these uh, individual investors, uh, you know, have access to trading platforms that they didn't even have a few years ago. So. It's confusing to me whether folks are pricing in legitimate concerns or this kind of increasingly dire story and then using the resultant sell-off to justify whatever that story is and kind of this self-feeding illogic loop. You know, it's interesting how instantly um, this kind of market insanity becomes contagious, not unlike this uh, flu stuff. The underlying force that binds everything together. The process is that whatever the fear of the moment is, has now become the new standard. Everything else is washed out by it. 
And fear is reinforcing. If you're spreading the fear, well, you look like you have deep knowledge of things. If you're calm, it's like being ignorant. Well, you can, I'm over here doing that home home stuff. So, uh, no, I'm beyond calm. So, uh, you know, I'm sorry. You can call me ignorant, but uh, I'd rather be ignorant than silly. So, Tuesday, stocks that have been hit recently by fears of this virus, you know, slowing the economy. Well, they all bounce back up. Apple, NVIDIA, Micron, uh, Carnival Cruise Lines, American United Airlines, all up bunches. What changed? The fundamentals are still the same. The companies are still doing what they were doing two weeks prior to that. But perceptions change. And that's all it takes is just the attitude to do for short-term trading. Trends are what you do long-term. News and whatever is what happens uh, near-term. So we had the Dow up 408 on Tuesday. Microsoft and Cat were up. The tech sector up 2.5%. Yay, howdy. And then... Uh, we had a third-day jump on Wednesday because Friday we had been up as well. And that pushed the S&P uh, back to where it was before all the flu stuff started. So, uh, you know, we had energy, financials, health care, and we hit the new closing high on the S&P, and oh, boy. And then at one time Wednesday, <laughs> like I say, you don't want to see this during the day. just make it crazy. But the S&P uh, – on Wednesday was down as much as 3.1%. Now, because of worries around the fast spreading virus, one day we have, you know, hearts and flowers and playing violins and, oh, yes, things are getting better. And then the next day you have this, oh, my goodness, the virus is everywhere, sell everything. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, you know, the index has seen a volatility spike amid all these fears. Uh, they had five moves of over one, well, at least 1%. Over the past two weeks. Prior to that, we'd gone 74 sessions. You know, do the math. Divide five into 74 because it's five days a week. 74 sessions without a move like that. It's the U word, folks. Uncertainty. There's still uncertainty around the virus, and it doesn't seem to be open-ended risk it was previously, but it's still out there. So I'm going to we'll take our first break. Now I'll come back and kind of give you the uh, latest from Dr. Mike about uh, this virus stuff, and most importantly, how it's affecting the marketplace and what you might want to consider. This morning, uh, Chinese say we've got 34,000 cases of this stuff reported. 722 people are dead. Now, it's closing China to the world, and it's straining the economy. Here's what's bothering the markets. Uh, I don't want to sound like a very mean guy, but uh, it isn't about the numbers of folks who are dead. Uh, it just isn't. It's about how the uh, world trade and supply chains are going to be affected by the slowdown. You know, it, they've been making uh, these multinational businesses. Uh, they've got hard decisions, make unlimited information. I mean, they're, it's just not there. And so it's impossible to predict the extent that this virus can spread and have greater consequences. But history indicates that the global economy and markets have been relatively immune to the past, to the effects of past epidemics. Uh, there, well, I, I, can't, I can't hold it up to the microphone. You couldn't see it anyway. But there's a chart that, uh, that uh, Chuck Schwab put together that talked about things going back to um, uh, the World War I with the, uh, with the, horrible flu epidemic and 
what the markets did in response to that. Now, the key reason that uh, there's been the markets have been relatively immune is that these global health organizations are, are well, they're prepared for outbooks. They're they're effective when mobilized, and boy, are they mobilized! You know, the uh, they've really got all their heavy duty hitters on this thing. Uh, and there was talk yesterday that there was one company that had come out with a. a, a a shot that apparently a vaccine of some sort that had seemed to be effective. But, uh, you know, they're saying, again, it's China is really slowing and that's worrying people for sure. That's according to Ed Hyman. He's uh, chairman of Evercore. Now, he said, and this is it. Now, this is he's talking about Chinese folks. People are not going out. They're not shopping. And that's what's hurting, particularly China. He's, in his opinion, he sees zero growth for the Chinese economy this quarter. I mean, it makes no sense. I mean, the, the, the country has basically said, you can't go to work, so you can't make money. So am I going to spend money? Heck no. So you're basically going to get a, a drag on their economy. And so since uh, their supply chains are in many things all over the world, that's what the challenge is, is that uh, right now it appears, uh, you know, that the disruption could come to an end soon. Uh, the Chinese government definitely doing whatever is needed to cushion the shocks to the economy, uh, their economy and, and the global financial markets. They punt 1.7 trillion yuan renminbi into the market and done other financial things to help get things going. Now, see, uh, a lot of people are trying to make this, oh, it's like SARS. No, it's not. It, it, it appears to be more contagious quicker. But, and this is a big but, it has a lower mortality rate. And so the reactions uh, from the governments and uh, businesses has been had a much greater effect on the economy than the disease itself. So many factories in China were scheduled, are scheduled to reopen Monday. It's uncertain whether that's going to happen. But uh, when China will decide to let employees get back to work is going to be the key determinant. And the lockdown in cities... Uh, where this has been uh, really a problem and travel restrictions within the country, which is really a problem. Uh, well, that's been the issue. The biggest economic risk at this point, and this is uh, according to Michael Scholl, he's uh, at Market Field Asset Management. He said uh, the biggest economic risk is a fear of a Chinese market collapse and a drop in Chinese productivity and supply chain to the rest of the world. So it's a big X. You know, who knows? Uh, but it's not just the size of the country that's important. Uh, the global supply chains are more complex than they were in 03. That's when China joined the World Trade Organization. So there's delays, there's workarounds. Uh, but if you look at nine major outbreaks uh, of, of diseases, etc., since 98, there's little evidence linking global epidemics with long-term investment fundamentals. You got to be able to separate these things in your head. You might be afraid of the bug. You might, you know, all that stuff. Okay, that's personal. But as far as your assets and your investments, that's a different story. These fundamentals are not being really heavily affected yet by any of this. The price perceptions are simply flipping around based on headlines. And again, these algo traders who move things really quickly. Now, the Chinese economy may slow, maybe meaningfully, but I don't believe that's any kind of good reason to either invest or divest right now. I mean, just on that alone. You, this is all, you know, personal issue as it always is. 
your long-term investing is often best disconnected from short-term economic reactions and so maintain your focus on what matters, your long-term results. To go from having an effect on specific companies to actually hurting our economy, though, that's going to take a whole lot more. You know, it would take a loss of $22 billion with a B in economic activity to move our GDP by one-tenth of 1%. $22 billion is one-tenth of 1%. That's pretty big. And this is according to William Bear. They say that Starbucks, you know, they close their stores over there. They would hurt their revenue by $25 million each week that they're closed. Putting it another way, then, if Starbucks is closed for 880 weeks, that's what it would take to save one, shave one-tenth of 1% one off the GDP. Now, Mark Chaikin of uh, Chaikin Analytics said, uh, we're looking for higher highs in the S&P once the virus fears subside. Uh, buying opportunities abound in strong sectors and industry groups. I think that's what you saw there uh, in this last week. Now, if, so, if markets could overcome something so deadly as the Spanish flu epidemic where 100 million people died, that was 6% of the global population. I don't think this is something that we need to get that distraught about in terms of the marketplace. Uh, you know, try and keep these things separate, folks. It's hard to do. I get it. But uh, this is emotions and uh, not so much reality because uh, the effect of this is, well, not that significant in terms of the greater economy. Um, I hope that doesn't sound too uh, harsh, but it is how these things work. Remember, the fundamentals are numbers and data. That's just what goes on. They don't switch. They don't, they're like this great huge aircraft carrier. You don't turn the wheel over and the thing flips around and it turns going back the other direction really fast. No, no, no. Markets have their own momentum. They have their own inertia to deal with. And uh, right now, you know, we're still in good shape. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll start with a dramatic reading of some of these economic numbers. Uh, I'm not going to have time to do it all before the break, but we'll be able to get you some ideas to uh, what is underneath all of this stuff. It is not air. It is not the Fed. It is not fake stuff. It's people spending money to buy things and then other people making things to replace the things that are being bought. That's the economy. So Tuesday, we, our big bounce came when Reuters said that China's central bank would cut its key lending rate, as well as the Chinese bank's reserve requirements, to help support economic growth. And so they will, they're going to probably, well, they will have a tough first quarter in this year and perhaps even a tough second quarter. But I would believe that uh, with this internal stimulus that they are putting forth here uh, to keep the economy going and fire and, well, recovering, you're going to get one of those V-shaped deals like what we had in 08 and 09 when our, uh, on March of 09, March 6th of 09, when the markets bottomed and turned around. If you go back and look at a chart, you'll see a nice V-shape. And uh, that's exactly what they're talking about, like it would happen here. Now, they did, too. They China announced Thursday that they're cutting in half the tariffs on us on our imports uh, about $75 billion worth. They're going to cut uh, some from 10% to 5 and from 5 to 25 on others. And they're going to take, uh, take place next month, or excuse me, next week on the 14th. And that decision was made as part of a broader phase one trade deal between 
them and us. And uh, that kind of put the trade war off on the shelf as well. So we've had a few things just kind of been, I would say, resolved here in the last couple of weeks that have taken away from the market. Uh, U.S. factory activity. Remember, people say, oh, factory manufacturing, we're not doing anything anymore. Well, it rebounded in January after contracting for five straight months. We got a surge of new orders. So that suggests that the prolonged slump in business investment is perhaps bottomed out. And uh, weekly jobless claims, which was Thursday, that's at a nine-month low. Uh, and better than forecast private uh, payroll numbers came out on Wednesday. Uh, we had uh, the best monthly gain in private payroll since May of 2015. No, you can't do that in a bad economy. You can't do that in an economy where you have things to be concerned about. I, um, I'm a, I'll offer you a little vignette after the break about that because I've been doing a lot of traveling here the last month uh, and um, have come to see some of this economic development live and in color here around the country, and I want to share some of those views with you. So uh, what do we do? Oh, yes. Um the uh, like I said, the uh, jobs report came in at, uh, with 150,000 estimated, but we added 291,000. That was private sector. Yesterday, we had the broad labor market, uh, where we added 225,000 folks, way more than the expected 165. Now we're going to be back after the break, so come on back. We got lots more information that I hope you can use. Give us a call, 326-9200, 800-920-9244. This is Money Management. I'm Mike Mayo with the Spokane office of the Opus 111 Group. Good morning. Thank you very much for tuning in. And if you have a question or comment, uh, please give us a call. You can call us at 326-9200 in the neighborhood or 800-920-9244 if you're outside. And, uh, as I said, I, I've been doing a lot of traveling uh, uh, for biz here the last, well, since January 1st, I guess. And uh, so it, it, as a result of that, and I like to drive because I like to get a better feel for what's going on. Plus, <laughs> I can spend more time, I can get there quicker than going through the uh, check-in line, I think, sometimes. But in any regard, um, I just wanted to share with you some of my observations, and they're totally personal. But... I'll tell you what, I have had the occasion to go, well, basically everything, Arizona, Utah, uh, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, I think that's it. Uh, That's where I've been. And now all of those states are growing. This is not the east, okay? And so that obviously skews what I've been seeing. But uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, it's. You go through all the towns, big cities, small towns, you see help wanted signs, you see all kinds of activity, uh, a lot of truck traffic, because that's how most of our stuff gets from point A to point B is by trucks, um, especially for the, you know, to the, the, the last the last mile, as they say. Uh, well, I guess we have a caller, so I will diverge from my little war story and uh Good morning. How can I help you? Hello. Oh, uh, uh, just a, a quick question on the trade-off uh, retiree uh, VA loan with uh, 
a pretty large balance. And uh, the trade-off between uh, paying down the mortgage or using, uh, you know, some uh, personal assets uh, to pay off the mortgage and be, uh, you know, uh, debt-free. Just a quick analysis on that. Any other questions? (laughs) Okay. Uh, well, the, the first thing it's going to depend that that is really a personal decision because, uh, you know, here, here's the trade off. You got to figure, okay, I got to spend this much money to, to pay down the, the note. And so that money is no longer available in any way, shape or form for my retirement. So that's a, that's, that's a pretty big bet. Okay. Uh, the other side is to say, well, I don't want to, you know, I'd like to be debt free. How important is that to you? And how much of your cash flow is uh, taken up by your mortgage payment? And uh, as you're retired, uh, how will that affect your cash flow needed to live? Uh, the challenge is, is if you put a big chunk in to pay down the note and your uh, pool of retirement assets is diminished, uh, will that remaining uh, pool be able to support you in the manner that you'd like to uh, be? And you can do uh, what they call Monte Carlo projections. You can do different ways to kind of make some assumptions on numbers. But it really comes down to what are you most comfortable with? And do you want to do uh, debt-free? And, and are you willing to pay the cost to do that? Okay, thank you. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for your call. And if uh, you have a question to comment, 326-9200-800-920-9244 are the numbers to do that. Now, um, again, back to the road trip thing. Uh, the, the economy, folks, is humming. I mean, you don't have to read reports or surveys or what have you. It is jumping. I don't know how it could be doing a whole lot better than what it is now. And you say, well, gosh, if it's doing so well, that means it's going to stop. No, it doesn't. There's no law that says it has to stop. That's uh, usually a political challenge of some sort or another with the Federal Reserve uh, tightening uh, the uh, uh, interest rates and or a recession. But I don't know where a recession would come from in this particular environment because, I mean, we're just hitting it out of the park. It just is. And, you know, just like we were – Woe is me in 2008 and nine. Well, we're at the other end of that spectrum right now. And so for that reason, I believe that your angst should be pretty minimal. Uh, again, th- th- what makes stocks go up are earnings. Earnings meaning how much money am I making as a company that I can use to say, well, gee, that company's worth more because look at the money they're making. And I get to share dividends with my investors. Cool deal. I think I'll invest in some of that. Now, that continues regardless of what the markets are doing, you see. And it, you have to invest for the long term. Don't get hung up in the in the dang headlines because they change from time to time. It just happens. And I got to – well, I want to get this story. So I got to talk about Tesla. It, I've never talked about it before. Uh, I don't have any clients that own it, at least not that I'm aware of. I don't own it. So this is strictly observation. I've got no axe uh, to grind here. So, but this week it's been crazy. Well, last couple of weeks it's been crazy. So, depending upon whom you ask, Tesla is either a Ponzi scheme, 
uh, it's been called Bitcoin on Wheels or the Manufacturer of the Future. Now, one of these little electric cars has, they're not exactly cheap. Yugo doesn't come to mind here, if you see what I'm saying. Uh, this is like 95000 on the low end to 130000 on the high end. Now, to me, this is kind of the following is <laughs> the fly in the ointment. You can only go 300 miles on a charge, and it takes like 12 hours to recharge this thing. I'm sure they'll figure that stuff out someday. But anyhow, that's the reality of what Tesla is right now. So the total value of the company's shares, that's called the market capitalization, went from $100 billion in January, like this year, to $175 billion on February 4th, only to fall back to $126 billion on the 5th. What? This is neck brace territory, folks. This is not for moms and orphans and things like that. Uh, the, the market's response to uh, Tesla's January earnings reflected the extent to which Mr. Musk's company is what they call a binary bet. Either it succeeds beyond your wildest expectations or it just craters. It just fails spectacularly. The first meaning of the earnings that the company performed well last year, well, I think that's less important than what the second meaning is, that Tesla is much less likely to fail outright. I think that was a big concern for a long time, and not unlike Amazon. Now, a decent increase in revenue and production, which might normally push shares up 10%, gets amplified by the reduced likelihood that the stock will go to zero. Now, Tesla's shares were up nearly 20% on Monday, and almost another 14% on Tuesday, and then, oops, analysts at Canaccord Genuity and New Street Research downgraded the stock Wednesday, along with news of, uh, coincidentally, there was also news of the Model 3 delivery delays in China due to the virus outbreak. So Tesla shares fell 17% Wednesday. So you can see that this is just a little bit news-oriented. Um the stock is, after all this flipping and flopping, just for this year, the stock is up 80, 80%. I'm sorry, this is just silly. Now, you, you, this has left folks scratching their heads. Is this irrational exuberance? Is this a visionary company proving itself or something else? Well, I'll tell you what, the possibilities are pretty numerous. Here, here's the way the numbers cranked out. What was it? Uh, Monday, the stock opened at 6.73 a share, and it closed at 7.86, which was an all-time high. Now, the next morning, it opened at 883 dollars. It's up almost 100 dollars overnight, and it tapped in at 9.69 a share, which is now the new all-time high. You know, holy crow! And then on Wednesday, well, we had a slight change. It closed at 7.48. That's down from 9.69. So you were up 269 from Monday to Tuesday. That's 44%. You were down 221 points from uh, high to Friday close at 23%. Now, do you feel like you missed out? Do you feel like you have a perception of a loss because you didn't sell at that high? A lot of people get that. They hang their hat on the highest price, something they owned ever was, and feel like they had a loss. Well, no, it doesn't work like that because... Anyhow, Tesla has a market capitalization that's now nearly as large as BMW and VW combined. That's nuts. 
That's totally crazy. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know what the value of the company is, but suspect sales and profitability forecasts suggesting a $200 billion capitalization are maybe a little more optimistic than perhaps what they could be or should be. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are just totally uh, into this. And yet one of the reasons that the stock has done gone up so much is kind of a negative one. It's called short covering. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean that you're wearing your workout clothes and now you put on uh, sweatpants to cover up your shorts. No. This is uh, to short a stock is a is a strategy which says that, you know, like most times when you buy a stock or a fund or whatever, you buy it and then you sell it. So, great. And that's how you make your money. Well, imagine doing that backwards. You sell something before you buy it. You're selling it at a price today thinking that it's going to drop a significant amount and then you buy it and then you make that difference. Now, your risk to the upside is unlimited, so it's not for the faint of heart by any stretch. And uh, so Tesla is still the number one stock that is shorted on the market. There's 24 million shares out there who, uh, in, in the hands of folks who think that it's going to go down or that it'll go bankrupt. <laughs> now, those folks lost on paper, unrealized, $5 billion in two days because of what the market did. But many of them are still shorting it. And until they close their position, they don't realize the loss. So, you know, that's a trading decision. So what's happening is, is that when in the last few days when they've seen this big move up, a lot of these guys are just thrown in their proverbial laundry and said, hey, I got to get out of this thing. It's killing me. And so they buy it back and they have to buy it back at whatever it is in the marketplace today. And if that's the case, well, what do you think? Supply and demand, I need the shares to meet this obligation. So that has something to do with why the shares are moving up as well. Uh, Steve Eisman, uh, uh, who is a, he's a, he's a hedge fund guy, he said uh, he covered his short position this week. He said that when a stock becomes unmoored from valuation, you just have to walk away. Um, and here, here's also a little, oh, by the way, the CNBC reported that more than 22,000 investors bought Tesla for the first time on a millennial-favored Silicon Valley stock trading app between February 3rd and February 5th. In, in our client meetings, most of the people who are asking me about Tesla were millennial-type people. And that's neither here nor there. I mean, I, I get it. It's something they can relate to. But uh, be very careful about this. I don't care how old you are. Uh, they don't care. The stocks don't care. Uh, they're going to trade based on what they're going to trade on. And if uh, you you know, when you're talking about $1,000, okay, $750 per share, uh, it's going to take you a while to build up a position in that thing, okay? And so understand that you can see big moves, but when you're only buying a few shares at a time, your actual equity, your uh, portion isn't going to appreciate all that much, so don't be chagrined. Now, you know, people are saying, oh, the market's too high, and, you know, is it reasonably priced, uh, you know, compared to consensus earnings estimates? And the earnings estimates are coming in higher than expected, by the way. 
And the pessimists say that doesn't matter. Uh, and then the optimists, which is, please put me in my camp, because we like to think of that as realists. Um, the nominal level of the stock market is higher than it's ever been. I mean, you know, the number. Uh, like I said, we just hit new all-time highs. And it almost always is. I mean, if you go back, uh, the, everything below us was an all-time high at some point, all right? And uh, if we were to go back to those levels, you wouldn't be happy. You wouldn't say, oh, yeah, this was an all-time high once. It's all matter which way you're looking through the telescope. Now, here, here's something that's a little confusing to me. Fund investors, that's ETFs and mutual funds, fund investors uh, pulled $13.1 billion out of U.S. stock funds in the first full week of this year. That's the biggest move out of uh, the U.S. stock market since September. Now, at the same time, those uh, investors put $25 billion into funds that hold taxable or municipal debt, the largest single flow into bonds since 2013. Oh, bad idea. Bad idea. Uh, you know, the, the thing is that all fixed income investment strategies are bound to fail in the long run. The flat line of fixed income is surmounted during your lifetime by an upward sloping curve of living costs. So, you know, how do we get around that? Uh, look where the earnings are. Look at dividend. And, and, and the possibility that the stock market might be up this much because the earnings are up that much. And they're continuing to go up. So, you know, let, let me put it to this way. Uh, in the cat from... 1990 through 2019, that's 30 years. That's what we use as the uh, kind of de facto number for retirement planning. So this is real numbers. Um, you know, and, of course, past performance doesn't mean future results and all that stuff. But this is what's actually happened. The cash dividend of the S&P has gone up more than five times, from $11 to $58. In that period of time, inflation has basically barely doubled. And and so, well, it seems pretty dramatic and has been, uh, especially if you've been one of the lucky winners of the dividends over those last 30 years. That's just par for the course, because the long term rate of dividend growth is about twice the rate of consumer inflation. Unlike fi fixed income. As a practical matter, then a person who is going into retirement only mainstream stocks finds that their dividend income it more than covers your income needs. You can therefore leave your capital alone to grow for your heirs and even uh, use long-term uh, compound dividends in excess of your own income needs. You get an income you cannot live, a growing pool of capital for your heirs, and, and uh, the good news of stock dividend income, it can't be dis disproved. I mean, it can be as disbelieved. I mean, people just don't accept the fact that they do that. So, you know, when you're looking at your retirement planning, <laughs> fear is not a good way to, to invest. The uh, price, or, you know, people say the price earning ratio on, on the S&P right now is 25. So, oh, gee, that's highly valued. Would you invest in something that had a P.E. ratio of 66? Whoa, man, I can't do that. That's belt, that's helmets and flat jackets. And, oh, my goodness. No, no, no. You know what has a P.E. of 66 right now? The 10-year United States Treasury note. What that says is that 
fixed income as an entity, and I'm not picking on U.S. Treasuries or anybody else, but because of the way that the numbers are today, fixed income is way, 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 way overvalued. Now, is it going to snap back and come back the other way? I doubt it. You know, we're talking lower for longer. And uh, we have a caller on the line, Ken. How can I help you, sir? When you give the stock market reports in the morning, and yes, you're sir? talking about local stocks, uh, uh-huh. could you sometime talk about Berkshire Hathaway? Because there's a whole bunch of Berkshire Hathaway umbrella companies here, like uh, uh, oh, yeah. Pampered Chef and Miller Paint and a whole bunch of them. And uh, just maybe oh, no. sometime you could give that. Throw that Berkshire Hathaway in, and also you could tease us once in a while with the value of his A stock, which is like two hundred and fifty grand <laughs> Warren Buffett stock. Yeah, yeah. You probably yeah, you have can, a couple can, hundred uh, shares can... of that. Oh, absolutely! I keep it in my back pocket. In KN. <laughs> yeah. But I try, you know, it's hard yeah. to try and get, I, I I appreciate what you're asking, and I have put Berkshire Hathaway on, but you know, I've I've got one six different reports, and I only can put right. four stocks in each one. So I'm, uh, you know, if you're oh, listening sure. at the wrong time, you say, "Ah, that dirty guy is." But yes, sir, I will do yeah, that, yeah. and thank you for the suggestion. Yeah. Well, there's just a whole bunch of companies here that are under that umbrella. Right. No, I hear you, and that's what I try yeah. to do. So folks who work there will get to know what's going on. So thank you for that, Ken. You, you do a great job. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. I appreciate that, sir. Thank Bye. you. You bet. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So, uh, in closing, and again, thank you, Ken, for your call. In closing, I don't. We're we're in good shape, folks. You know, how's the commercial go? It don't get no better than this, right? Uh, and and that's exactly right. Just just enjoy it. Go with it. Uh, don't get in fine tuning your stuff because there's no advantage in doing it right now. I mean, if if the market moves have you a little concerned. Do yourself a favor and take like an interim step and check your uh, your asset allocation. Is it set the way that you're comfortable for it being set? Uh, do you ha- uh, have things moved out of balance because of uh, the way the markets have been? If so, you sell some of the stuff that's moved well and put it into things that haven't moved well. So as it cycles through, you'll get the, uh, you'll, you know, sell high, buy low, always a good idea. Uh, some <laughs> some people seem to have an aversion to doing it that way, but that's okay. And, you know, just something else, you know, you talk about productivity in the marketplace, people say, oh, you know, we're not very productive. The challenge is, is that a lot of our productivity isn't even measured because we got all these tech advances. You know, how about the cloud? How about the smartphone maps that people have? that replaced all those things, you know. <laughs> what do you call that thing that you used to carry around on your shoulder, the, the boom box and all those kinds of things, that, uh, maps and flashlights and, you know, anything free, no matter how much uh, it improves your life, our lives, isn't included in output, which means it's not included in productivity. You know what that means? Our standard of living is improving a whole lot faster than the official reports show. So uh, more new technology from a strong private sector, it's going to have a ripple effect and increase output in many other sectors in the economy. And that tight labor market and faster growth, you get more pressure for efficiency gains, which drives t- 
technology even more and gives you the ability to provide, you know, create more inventions for things we haven't used yet, haven't even thought of yet. It's good, people, you know. I Well, anyway, I hope you get the idea. Things are okay. Be sure and listen to Opus 111's Mike Mail every Saturday morning on 920 AM KXLY in Spokane. Stream the show on KXLY.com or subscribe to this podcast and we'll bring the latest episode to you. Securities offered through KMS Financial Services.